start. They'll, they'll come in. They always do. Um, let's pray first. Be ready. Well, Father, we thank you, God, for our church. Father, we thank you for this place where we can come and open up your scriptures, God, and um, study without worry, God, as we, as we have the freedom to uh, study your word, the freedom to have Bibles, the, the freedom to evangelize in the streets still, God, and the, and the freedom to uh, worship you, Father. I pray that we would take advantage, that you would um, give this freedom to us uh, as a means that we would use it. Father, and that we would take advantage of the freedoms that we have here while we have them, Father. We pray that you would be merciful to us and allow our freedoms to continue, God, that we would be able to preach um, the entirety of your word without fear for years to come in America, God. That if it's your will, Father, that we would be faithful, um, even if the limits come, God, that we'd be faithful to proclaim your word, Father. I thank you for this church again that that just encourages us to do so, God, as... Um, as we just go verse by verse through your scriptures, God, I pray you would bless this, God, as, as your word is where the, the spirit works, Father, I pray that even in the teaching of Sunday school, God, that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, that we would be grounded in the gospel, Father. So we pray you'll bless me, God, as I speak, and bless our class, God, as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to pick back up in the book of Galatians, the study that we began um, before I left a couple weeks ago, and simply being that it was a couple weeks ago, I'm going to start off with a little recap um, of what we covered so far. But even before that, I just wanted, especially since John's here, just thank him for his preaching last week. Thank you for lifting up Christ to us. Um, you know, when I was gone at that conference, um, Steve Lawson preached a message on the importance of preaching Christ as we should, as he deserved, and I wanted to send it to you. Because I knew what your text was, and the whole time I'm thinking, man, this would help out John. I didn't send it to you, and then you preached, and I said, he didn't need it. You know, so, yeah, I appreciate that. That was encouraging to me, because it is sometimes hard to um, preach Christ as we should, but I think that you definitely did, and I appreciate that. Um, so we're back in Galatians. Um, we're going to pick up in chapter 1 where we finished off. Uh, but what we saw so far was in the very first verse, we see that it's the Apostle Paul who authored this letter. And the Apostle Paul's writing this letter to Gentiles, to Gentile churches in the area of Galatia. And then what's happening, we see in verse 7 there, that the first mention of what's going on in these churches, why Paul had to write this, this letter, was because there was those who were coming into the church, or maybe even rising up within the church, who were distorting the gospel. They were, they were teaching a false gospel and trying to get the church to, to be subject to this false gospel. And then we know from details also later on in the book that the, the specific problem that these, these false teachers were bringing into the church was the issue of justification. They were denying that one is saved, that one is justified by putting their, their trust and faith in Christ alone. And that was the error. And so that, that was the reason that um, Paul pins this letter um, is to, to correct the, the false teaching that was going on in, this, in these churches. And so in, in short, the, the false teaching was that they were teaching that in order to be fully a, a, a part of the people of God, to be fully uh, brought into the, to the people of God, one had to become a Jew. One had to take on the Old Covenant signs, practice Judaism, keep the Old Covenant, all of these things. They taught if you did not do this, you would not be justified. You would not be fully um, at peace with God. And then we saw Paul's response to this teaching, where Paul said 
in verses 6 through 10 that if you leave the gospel of grace, if you leave the gospel that Paul first preached to you, you're not just leaving his gospel, you're actually leaving God himself. And that was the seriousness of the matter, is that to get the gospel wrong, to leave the gospel of grace, um, you're leaving God himself. And then Paul says that anyone who was to teach a false gospel was anathema, they're accursed, they're damned. Alan, can you hit the AC for us? I'm hot too, you hot? I'm hot. I'm feeling it. I'm yeah. sick, so. Oh, are you? Brother. Okay, so what Paul set out to accomplish, he mentions in the very first verse there again, but what his goal is, is he's trying to establish the fact that he preaches a true gospel, that he's trying to set out and lay a foundation to convince the Galatian churches that the gospel that he preached to them was correct. And his argument is, is that it's correct because it was given to him by Jesus Christ and God himself. That's what he's trying to establish in this entire first chapter, actually kind of bleeding into the second chapter as well. And the first argument Paul made, and we looked at this last week, was in verses 13 and 14. His argument was, he said, look at my pre-conversion days. Look at my life before I became a Christian. And it, and it, and it kind of went like this. He said, look how zealous I was entrenched in Judaism in the traditions that I was following. I was so given over to that, to that religion that there would have been no possibility to have been convinced or swayed by any other teaching. Christ, the Christians I was not being convinced of, I was killing them. That was kind of what he was trying to say. Um, he said, look at my pre-conversion days. I wasn't learning any gospel from these people. Uh, his second argument we saw in verses 15 and 16 was his actual conversion story. Paul talks about um, his conversion that we all probably are familiar with, the conversion of Paul where he was on his way to kill Christians actually and persecute them, and God just intervened and by his grace um, chose to reveal the Son to him. And what I wanted to look at, and I didn't get to do it last week, um, was most of us know Paul's conversion right from Acts chapter 9 was the first mention of it, but there's a much fuller account given to us of his conversion. I think it's important for us to look at to, to understand Paul's gospel because it's actually at his conversion when Jesus appears to him and he's blinded that, that Paul gets um, this gospel message from Jesus Christ. And it's given to us in Acts chapter 26. And I want us to turn there because I think it's significant for, for everything Paul's saying, that his gospel was from Jesus Christ himself. And maybe just to uh, break the ice for you guys, um, Jason, will you read it for us? Will you read Acts 26, um, verses 15 through 18, where, where what, what Paul, the, kind of the reference here is Paul's um, explaining his conversion to King, to King Agrippa, that he's being persecuted by the Jews. They've taken him before the Roman authorities. He, he's, he's telling King Agrippa of his conversion. Um, so, Jason, yeah, 26, 15 through 18. Okay. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
exactly. That's really good. I think you really emphasized there um, what I'm trying to emphasize just in how you read it. What, what, was, what did Jesus say to Paul was the way that Jews and Gentiles would have their sins forgiven? How was it that they were going to be brought into the people of God and be sanctified? What was the means? What did he say there? How, what was the message that he's going to give? What, what's the means that they would have forgiveness of sins? Well, he doesn't, well, what, like, what language does he use here? That's true. Turn from darkness to light. That's what's going to happen. How do, how, what's the means by which you'll turn? This is the very end of verse, eight, of verse 18. Yeah, how do they receive forgiveness of sins? By faith in me. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. What is, how is that going to happen? How are they going to turn from darkness to light? How are they going to receive forgiveness of sins? How are they going to be sanctified? He says, by faith in me, meaning it's Christ speaking. That's the means. So I just wanted to look at that to, to show you from the, from the gate, from the very get-go, this is how Paul is told to preach. This is what he's told. This is his message. It's by faith in Christ that all these things will happen. Notice he didn't mention any other stipulations, just as Jesus never did in his teachings. Jesus said, you believe in me, you have eternal life. It was that simple. And it's the simplicity of the gospel that um, is what usually gets lost. It's very simple, it's very clear. You put your faith in Christ and you will receive forgiveness of sins, but why is it every religion under the sun veers away from that? And so really with Galatians, what I want us to do is just really rest in the simplicity of the gospel that if we put our faith in Christ, trust in Him, our sins will be forgiven and we'll have peace with God. So that was it. That's, that's what I was trying to make the point is that from the very beginning, this is Paul's message, is by faith in Christ that you'll have your sins forgiven. Um, so this brings us to Paul's third point, Paul's third argument for his gospel being from God. And this is really where we left off um, last time I was here. So let's read. Um, it's, it starts in the middle of verse 16 is where we left. This is right after Paul's been called by Christ. Paul's been given his, his apostleship and he's been given the gospel. And we pick up right halfway through verse 16. He says, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and then returned once more to Damascus. And so Paul's converted from his, from his Judaism and from his traditions. He's converted to Christ, given the gospel. He's, he's called to be an apostle. And Paul knows that there's apostles, other apostles were made apostles by Jesus Christ before him in Jerusalem. But what's interesting, he says he doesn't seek them out. He doesn't go to them. He says, instead, he says, I went away to Arabia. And Arabia at this time was a very unpopulated area. There was, there was not many people there, not like there would have been in Jerusalem. And so Paul, Paul's converted, he gets the gospel, and he leaves and goes away to Arabia. Nowhere in the Bible does it really tell us um, specifically what was going on while Paul was in Arabia. Um, but I think we can kind of... Um, guess what was going on, we can assume that if you put yourself in the place of Paul, you've lived your entire life um, with a view of the Old Testament, with a, with a hermeneutic, and, and, a, and, a, and a looking forward to a Messiah in a certain way. I'm sure Paul was looking for the Messiah, and Jesus came, and that wasn't Paul's Messiah. Um, so you can imagine when Christ himself appears um, the deity of Christ, the lordship of Christ is revealed to Paul. His messiahship is revealed to Paul. Um, it probably took three years for Paul to go back through the Bible, go back through the scriptures, and to reevaluate how it was that his entire life he'd missed Christ. How did Paul 
how with all of his training, all of his teaching, um, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he says, and he, did, and he missed the Messiah. He didn't get it. And so I think a lot of what Paul's time would be, would be had reconsidering the Old Testament, looking back at the Old, the Old Testament, all the types and shadows and prophecies and all of these things, how it was that he had missed Christ. And so I can imagine that being what Paul was doing. But what's also interesting is with the, with the parallel reference from Acts chapter 9 after Paul's convention, uh, conversion, it says, um, just as it mentions here, that he comes back to Damascus, it says. And it says immediately, this is Acts chapter 9, verse 20, he says, immediately upon returning to Damascus, he, be, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the Son of God. And so that's very interesting to me. Paul's converted. Um, He's convinced of, of the Messiahship of Christ, and he immediately enters the, the synagogues, the same synagogues that would have sent him out to persecute. He enters into those places with those Jews there that hate Christianity and proclaims that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So Paul's fully convinced at this point. You would not enter those synagogues unless you were fully convinced and, and, and literally ready to die for the message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so that's where Paul is at this point. Now, in verses uh, 18 through 20, Paul's going to make another point to the Galatian churches on how he was certain that his message is from God. In verse 18, it says, And three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas. And Cephas there is, is, is Peter. It says, And I stayed with him for 15 days, but I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And so as, as I kind of alluded to before, Paul's converted, given the gospel, and it's three years before he goes up to Jerusalem to see the other apostles. And, uh, and, it, and it's very interesting in verse 18, it also gives us so a very important piece of information about this visit, was that Paul did not seek out the apostles in Jerusalem to learn the gospel from them. That's not why he went up. He didn't, he didn't go up to try and synthesize his understanding with theirs and, and conform his gospel to them. But it says uh, right there in verse 18 that he wanted to become acquainted with Cephas. So his motivation for seeking them out um, wasn't really to learn from them um, anything pertaining to the gospel. His whole argument is that he didn't learn anything from them, but he wanted to meet Cephas. He wanted to meet Peter, one of the great um, disciples of Jesus. And that's, that seems perfectly natural to me. You know, you, you've been given this apostleship. You're going to want to meet um, the other fellow apostles, um, and I'm sure that they did discuss many other things, of course. I'm sure Peter was very interested in the life of Christ, what types of things Christ did, what else he may have taught um, besides um, simply the gospel message. Um, and, I, and I've heard Emilio say before, this is one of those places where he would have loved to have been a fly on the wall, he says, to hear the discussions between Peter and Paul at this point, because we can only imagine the things that, that were being discussed there um, just the great, the great stories that they would both have for each other. And then it says here that Paul did not only meet Peter, but it says he also met another apostle, James, the Lord's brother. And so we know James, the Lord's brother. And just to keep in line here with what Paul's trying to argue, um, I just want to mention what I think are the, the couple of reasons that Paul um, puts, he, the, re, the reason he mentions this, this visit here. I think the first reason he, reason he mentions this visit um, to the apostles in Jerusalem, he just wants to be fully open and honest. Um, he wants to admit that he has met the apostles. 
Because this whole argument is that he, the whole point of so far of chapter 1 is that he's got his gospel from God, he's not received his gospel from men. So I think he's just being uh, very upfront and honest about the fact that he has had contact with the other apostles. But he also is very um, sure to mention here in verse 18 that he saw them for 15 days, he says. So I think he's being very specific about the length of time that he met the apostles because I think his, the, the point is that he did not meet them for a long time. Um, to go from Damascus to Jerusalem, from Antioch to Jerusalem, these are very arduous long trips. And so to make that trip and just see the apostles for 15 days, um, yeah, I think he's emphasizing the point that it was a very short time. He did not go there to study under them and to learn their gospel. Um, his point is that he's got his gospel from God. He's not wondering if his gospel is true. And so lastly, in chapter 1, hey Chris, yes, sir. do you think, though, that that, 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 can, that doesn't preclude the fact that him and Peter, they did dis, they discuss the gospel and fellowship, you know, the gospel, and mm-hmm. they, they really, they, you know, they talked theology in the, the wee hours of the morning. Yeah, we talked about how you wish you were a fly on the wall. We yeah, said you, Starbucks, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. they still have good fellowship, you know, in the <laughs> yeah. I mean, I listened to your sermon on the text. Healthy debate. Did I say they debated at all? No, you didn't say they debated, but you did say you wish you were a fly on the wall so that you could <laughs> hear. Um, right. Yeah, maybe they did debate. We'll see, yeah. So th- maybe I can jump forward a little bit because you mentioned that. So in chapter 1, Paul's argument is what? He's trying to argue that his gospel is from God and not from man. So he's kind of mentioning things that would go along with that argument. In chapter 2, we're going to see the unity of the gospel between Paul and the other apostles, like Emilio was saying. They weren't, I don't think they were arguing about what the gospel was. They were in full unison. But here Paul's just simply making points to, to get the Galatians to understand that he does have the, the true gospel and it was given by God. So, yeah, we will, even today, see the unity. We'll see the, the unity of the gospel between Paul and Peter. Um, so just lastly, just to sum up, finish up chapter 1, verse 20 and following, he says this. He says, Now in what I'm writing to you, I assure you before God that I'm not lying. He said, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. And so to wrap up his argumentation, Paul's saying, um, following this little short visit that I had, I left and went 300 miles north. Um, and I was still unknown to all of the churches around Judea. And Judea, just, that, that just means the, the places around Jerusalem. So Paul was still not known to any of these churches. He had not fellowshiped with any of the churches around Judea. He had, met, he had not met any of the other apostles that would have been um, the apostles and elders in these other churches. Um, he was still unknown to all these people. His gospel was still purely the gospel that he had received from God. It wasn't influenced by any of these other people. And he went and left and, and actually begins his missionary journeys and, and begins the, the preaching of the gospel um, because he's assured already at this point that he has the right gospel. And so Paul's just been emphasizing his independence from anybody else. Um, he's just been establishing that his gospel is accurate. That's what he's been trying to say. It's accurate because he got it from God and not from man. And so now, with, with um, that being said, we'll begin chapter 2. Because Paul's established his independence from the other apostles. Um, he's established how he got his, his gospel indivi- individually from God, apart from them. But now he's going to show us, like Amelia was saying, that 
even though he got his gospel apart from them, it's the same gospel. And so now he's going to go through a different, um, give different examples to prove that his gospel is in fact the same as that of the apostles before him. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, then, then, after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And it was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation. And, and he's going to call them those who were of reputation. He's speaking of Peter, James, and John, the, the, the great apostles there in Jerusalem. He says that he met with those of reputation in private for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. And so we're gonna, there's a lot here to deal with. Um, but first of all, he says that he went as a result of a revelation from God. God sent him to Jerusalem um, with Barnabas to meet the apostles there in Jerusalem. And what Paul wants to do is Paul wants to lay out his gospel for them. Um, I'm sure him and uh, Peter, yeah, discussed the gospel many years before. This is 14 years later. Many things have happened uh, since then. Many things have developed. Many false teachings have come up. So Paul heads to Jerusalem to lay out his gospel for the apostles because his fear is, is that his work that he's done in the preaching of his gospel may have been done in vain. Um, he's going to see, he go, he's going to make sure, I believe, that the gospel that he preaches, the gospel of grace, he wants to make sure that this gospel is being taught as clearly in Jerusalem as, he's, as he is preaching it to the Gentiles. He wants to make sure that the gospel is being clear um, to the Gentiles and to the Jews as well. And I think he's so interested about going to Jerusalem because the Jerusalem is where Peter, James, and John are. And if there's compromise there with their gospel presentation, that's going to have great influence on everything he's doing. And I think that's why he says that he's, he's afraid that maybe he was running in vain. Because if it's him versus the Jerusalem apostles, um, strictly speaking from a man's point of view, you can imagine uh, the battle that that would be in trying to convince people that his gospel is correct. If Peter, James, and John are preaching something else, you can imagine the battle. And so Paul heads to Jerusalem with Barnabas um, to make sure that their gospel is the same, to, to shore up um, the gospel maybe of the apostles there. And so Paul, um, his goal, as I'm saying, is to make clear gospel presentation, make clear gospel distinctions, what is the gospel and what isn't the gospel. And so look what Paul does um, in order to, to do this. It says he brings Titus with him. He brings a believing, a converted um, Christian Titus to Jerusalem who's an uncircumcised Gentile. Right? This is going to be a tool, I think, that Paul's using to make his point. And in verse 3 it says this, it says, But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. And so despite the fact that there's false brethren in the churches there that have snuck in in Jerusalem, um, at the end of the day, it says here that Paul and those apostles in Jerusalem agreed that Titus um, was not to be circumcised. Titus was saved by grace through faith alone. That was enough. There was no need for circumcision. And, that, and that's really what needed to be um, shown and reiterated with them. And, and then Paul reiterates here in verse 5, he says that they did not yield in subjection for even a moment. 
Peter says even an hour, but I think it, we would say um, he means even for a moment. They did not yield even for a moment to another gospel, to a distortion of the gospel. Because um, Paul says he has in mind that those uh, in the other churches, like in the Galatian churches, the gospel could not be distorted. It had to be clear. It had, there had to be unison in the gospel uh, because of the effects that would happen if the gospel was distorted in Jerusalem. Yes, sir. Well, um, Chris, I was just going to, I, I didn't know if you were going to uh, touch on this or not, but could you talk a little bit about the difference then between what Paul did here with Titus and mm-hmm. what he does with uh, Timothy mm-hmm. at 16, where, mm-hmm. what is it, 14, mm-hmm. where he um, had Tim, or Timothy, or he had yeah. Timothy circumcised, but here he's saying Titus refused to be circumcised, and what could be the difference? Right. Um, well, there's a couple differences, right, between Timothy. We all know Timothy. That, that's who Paul wrote his other letters to. Um, Timothy actually had Jewish descent. His mother was a Jew. And so to minister to the Jews in that way, it seemed to be a concession. Um, he was getting Timothy circumcised so as not to be a hindrance to his Jewish family, um, not to cause a stumbling block. But Timothy was already a Christian at that point. We know of just by the way Paul speaks of him as being a faithful brother and uh, his son in the faith. And so Timothy was circumcised for a different reason. And we talked about it already, but the motivation for the circumcisions is, is really the point. Um, Timothy was motivated to be circumcised so that, he could, so that he could service the gospel to people who were Jews and would have been stumbled. Here, Titus is not circumcised to make a different point. He, Paul's making the point with Titus that circumcision is not necessary to be saved. And so he refuses at that point um, to make the gospel clear in that, in that sense. There's several differences, but I think it's the motivation for why they did it. Um, and I think that I think too that maybe the situation in Galatians is obviously different. Mm-hmm. It seems like these men, like in James, you know, men from brethren. He'll talk about that later. Brethren from James, these, yeah. these false teachers that snuck in were demanding mm-hmm. circumcision in order to be accepted. Right. Right. Yeah. Like in the covenant. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, I didn't know if you were so he was trying. Yeah, well, that, no, that's good. Um, I kind of almost assumed some of the, some of those truths, but um, yeah, they were demanding circumcision, and so Paul's making the point clear that this Gentile brother is converted, he's saved already. He does not need to be circumcised, and so that's yeah, that's the point he was making. Um, and so now, although point, uh, although Paul has found agreement with the Jerusalem apostles, they're all on the same page as far as the gospel is concerned. Um, Titus does not need to be circumcised. You don't have to become a Jew to be saved. Um, the old covenant, in that sense, has passed away. Paul still wants to make the point with the Galatians, because we can't ever forget the reason that he's writing this. He's still trying to make the point with the Galatians um, that his gospel is pure, that he received it from God, and that it's pure, and that it's not um, affected by the input from even the pillars in Jerusalem. Even the pillars in Jerusalem did not affect Paul's understanding of the gospel. Um, maybe I can have somebody read. John, can you read even though you're sick? Can you do it? Can you read uh, 6 all the way through 10? Sure. Right. But from those who were of high reputation, that they were what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel, to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had had been to the circumcised. For he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and, and Cephas and John, 
who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles, and they might, and, th and they too, the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I also was eager to do. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think I think here, um, what Paul's saying is that see how he calls them those of high reputation. He, he's referring to James, John, and uh, and, and Peter. Um, they were they were esteemed to be men of high reputation, and, and a lot of the commentators even agree that the reason he uses this language it almost sounds like he's talking down on them, you know, I mean, almost like in a mocking sense. Um, I don't think uh, Paul in any way has a low view of them, but I think what he's trying to show, and he's, he's almost trying to humble those who would be speaking against Paul as if he was lower than the other apostles. That seems to be kind of what Paul's trying to combat there. So Paul here is showing that as great as these men are, although they're considered of high reputation, they did not impart anything to him as far as his gospel is concerned. Right? It seems kind of repetitive, doesn't it? But that's what Paul's, that's his point over and over and over throughout the text here, is that Paul did not gain anything from them. They contributed nothing to me, he says. But on the contrary, verse 7 it says, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, and then later on it says that they saw that they recognized the grace that had been given to Paul, it says. The pillars saw that Paul had been entrusted with the gospel. They saw that um, grace had been given to him. And so kind of my question is for you guys, just to kind of for you to deal with the text here, um, what, what are some of the things, because it's not explicit in the text, we're almost having to assume it, but what are some of the things that y'all can imagine that these Jerusalem pillars would have recognized in Paul, what would have been the signals, what would have been the signs that they knew he was preaching and had been sent by God? The authority on which he stood. Which was what? Well, I wouldn't say just one thing, but Christ himself, mm -hmm. and then you've been an appeal to perhaps going through Old Testament scripture, mm -hmm. and that he's not adding something that they were already preaching. Good. Yeah. You know, it's just a unity. It's centered in a person. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. I, I think. Add, maybe. I mean, yeah. even though we see that nothing was added to him, mm -hmm. I think seeing the unity within the Jerusalem church added to the people. Mm -hmm. You know, they saw clarity amongst all the brethren, amongst all the apostles, which I think in turn benefited all of them, sure. even though it didn't necessarily benefit Paul directly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it says, because remember we read earlier, yeah, that's a good point, because remember we read earlier how it said, um, even those outside of Judea, around Judea, they said they had heard that this guy who once persecuted the church is now preaching the faith. You know, so they knew of Paul, um, but for him to come and then to have this unity would have been validated. Yeah, that would have been, really, well, been really good. Uh, you know, down in uh, verse 8, it talks about God working effectually through Peter and through him. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it just seems as if... He had the same works maybe that Peter had. Maybe maybe the you know, scripture talks about the signs of an apostle. Yeah. Maybe he came with the ability to do miracles like the other apostles did. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that's also a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's pretty much, I think you guys nailed what I had. Um, the first thing I had was that his gospel would have been the same gospel. I think it's kind of what Jason was alluding to, his authority. His authority was the gospel that had been given to him by Jesus Christ. And so Paul's gospel would have rang true with the the apostles there in Jerusalem, they would have said, yes, that is what Jesus taught us. That is the same message that we have. There would have been unity there. 
Uh, my second thing was just like Emilio said, Second uh, Corinthians 12:12, 12, 12, he would have he would have displayed the signs and wonders uh, that validate an apostle, a true apostle, signs and miracles. It says, um, and then lastly, um, with this effectual working of his that was just been massive, there was massive conversions. Yeah, All these Galatian churches, you know, it was growth. People were believing in Christ. They were leaving their paganism or whatever um, these folks were, were into in Galatia, and they were being converted to Christ. And so they just were, were amening the fact that God was certainly blessing um, the Apostle Paul. And so there, I mean, this, this is good because here it settled with, between them. Verse 9 says that James, Peter, and John, all these pillars of the Jerusalem church, it says they gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. And so there's the unity that would have been so good, as Jason was saying, for, for the church there, for the churches surrounding, for, the, for Antioch and the Galatian churches, these other places. The unity between Paul and those other apostles who were called previously would have been a, a beautiful thing to them. That would have been good. And so it says here also, mission, it, 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 it speaks to how the mission field was divided up. It says Paul and Barnabas are going to go to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. That, that's their area. That's what they're going to get. And it says that um, the Jerusalem apostles were going to minister amongst, amongst the circumcised. And so here we see how the mission feels divided up. And so here it is, the gospel of grace. Um, it was set in stone, never to be disturbed again. Or was it? Because there's a, there's a significant but here in verse 11. It says, verse 11 says, But when Cephas, that's Peter again, when he came up to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so just when we thought, right, that everything was settled, that the gospel was just set in stone, that everybody was good, um, we thought the millennium reign was probably about to come in, Peter makes a trip to Antioch. And in verse, verse 12 here is important because here it describes Peter's error. What was Peter's error? It says, prior to the coming of certain men from James, and when it mentions James here, James would have been the, the main apostle there still remaining in Jerusalem that Peter had left. So it's speaking of these men have coming from Jerusalem, coming from the Jerusalem churches, which we already, where we already know there was false teachers rising up. It says, for prior to the, certain, from the coming of certain men from James, he, meaning Peter, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But then when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And so that was a lot of text that we read, but I want to get the situation straight in our minds so that we can assess the problem, so that we can know exactly where and what Peter did wrong and why it was wrong. Um, so, so what it is is Antioch is is hundreds of miles north of Jerusalem. Peter makes a trip up. Instead of Paul coming down to Jerusalem, this time Peter's going from Jerusalem up to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas would have been. That's where their home church was. Um, Peter makes this trip up there. And at first, Peter's eating with the Gentiles there in the church. He's converted Christians, uncircumcised. He's eating with them, fellowshipping with them. No issues. 
Um, this is the same Peter that we know was with Jesus during his ministry. We know in, in, as early as in Mark chapter 7 that Jesus made all foods clean, right? Very early on, and Peter would have known this, right? So the, the, the eating with the Gentiles as far as their food, what they're eating, should not have been a problem for Peter. He knew the truth of this. It's the same Peter that was there in Acts chapter 10 when he was on the roof praying, had the vision. The sheet came down already with all, all the unclean animals on it. The Lord says to him three times over, eat. Eat of the unclean food. You know, Peter gives him a little back talk, um, but, he, but he finally gets it. He gets it. He, he understands that, that God has made all foods clean. Um, and what's interesting about Acts chapter 10 where that account is, is that not only does, does Paul, he really does get it. It's not just the fact that God's trying to show him that all foods have been made clean, but that all men have been made and are being made clean. Paul, uh, Peter gets that. It is very explicit because at that moment, the, the door below him, there's somebody knocking on the door below him, and it's Gentiles who God has brought to him to, to preach the gospel to. And, and Peter there acknowledges that God has, in fact, is making Gentiles clean as well. And so this is the same Peter who's making this error, right? Peter knows the truth. Him and, him and Paul have already gotten together on, on what the gospel is and what it isn't. So my question here is, what exactly was Peter's error? What was the message that uh, Peter was giving out? That was the, the, how was this distorting and affecting the gospel by Peter um, separating himself and eating only with Jews? What was that doing to the gospel message. Any ideas? I'm certainly talking a division where it shouldn't have been. Division. Yeah. yeah. And I was just going to add to me, when I see this verse, mm -hmm. although, yeah, I think it was essentially just talking about the division and food and so forth, I almost see it as the reason why so is such, such <laughs> the scriptures alone ought to be sufficient rather than a person, because I know within Roman Catholicism, they believe Peter being the first pope, hmm. a pope being infallible, mm -hmm. well, here we have clear evidence that Peter was fallible, Very by another apostle. Right. And so he can't, I mean, to me, this is pretty clear evidence mm -hmm. that a person, you know, the scriptures are going to define for us rather than a specific one head of a church. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's very important. As the, as the head goes, if you have this man who's the head of your church, if he falls, you, the whole church falls, just as Roman Catholicism has, in fact, fallen. Um, yeah, that's a good point, this, this division. And also it's adding to, um, it's, it's adding to, mm -hmm. to Christ. It's mm -hmm. going back to the things that were just a shadow. Exactly. And that, yep. that's the big error. Yep. That, um, you know, it's by grace, and, and then now he's saying, no, you know, no. Exactly. That, that's what I had. That's what I had. Faith in Christ is not enough to become a child of God. Mm -hmm. Peter's sending out the message that there's still an elect of the elect, that there's still another, another people of God, that there's, a, that there's a distinction still in the people of God, that, that faith alone in Christ is not enough, that there's still maybe another category you can enter, enter into by becoming a Jew. Mm -hmm. That's the message that he would have been giving out. And Paul sees this upon his return as... as um, a horrible error. And um, maybe just for us in our, in our own selves, uh, my second question is, because it's in the text explicitly, it says, what's the reason that Peter's willing, because Peter knows the gospel, he knows right and wrong, especially as this is as concerned, why is Peter willing and what causes Peter to compromise um, the gospel of faith alone in this instance? 
What's the mo what motivates him to, to compromise the gospel? I'll give you a hint for time's sake. It's verse 12 is where I, where I got it. I think just to, I mean, it doesn't say it specifically, but it says when they came, and I think assumes, you know, a large group of people, mm -hmm. you know, and it says he drew back and separated himself, mm -hmm. fearing, I guess the fear here is a circumcision part. And yeah. I say fear is based on people going against what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I put, fear of man, you know, whether it was a large group of men, which it may have been, I don't know how big it was, um, but it says he feared the circumcision party. <coughs> Right, so it was the fear of man that motivated um, Peter to mm -hmm. compromise, which for us is something that, I mean, we can be bold as Peter was and say, Lord, I'll die with you, you know, but when it comes down to it, um, separate from the men from the boys sometimes. He was already scared of a girl before. He was, he did. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, Peter, Peter, we still love Peter. Um, so, yeah, I think it was fear of man. I think he kind of got overcome. He may have even been taken away with the crowd in this instance. Um, you know, it's one of those things. I'm sure it wasn't intentional. I'm sure it kind of took him uh, by surprise maybe. But whether it was intentional or not, um, the results here are devastating. This small, what maybe Peter considered a small thing, had horrible results. Look at like verse 13 says. It says, even the rest of the Jews join him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So even Barnabas, even Paul's right-hand man, was carried away into making um, these distinctions. And so with, with a very, what this was to Paul, and it should be to us, is a very grave and public sin, um, we're going to see that this deserves a very public rebuke. And that's what Paul gives in verse 14. He says, but when I saw... Uh, so, so somehow Paul, Paul obviously wasn't there, but he shows up. And he says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So I think we already covered this, but what Paul's saying is that it's very inconsistent for Peter to have been to have been fellowshipping with the, the Gentiles, eating their food, um, clearly showing that, that that's not what makes one saved or not saved. Um, it was very inconsistent for him at this point to separate himself and cause confusion, right? That, that, that was his error, and I, and I think we did. I think we got that. Um, he was basically just misleading people. What did, what did it say right there? It says, uh, it says at the end of 14, it says you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews, right? So, that, so the Gentiles would have seen this as something maybe they needed to do. If Peter's doing it, if Peter's separating himself, maybe we need to do that too so we can be with the inside crowd of God's people. And, and I think that's kind of um, what Paul's speaking against there. Um, unfortunately, for time's sake, I hate to end right here, but you know what I will do? Um, we will just read we will read the text that I want to get to next week because I really think what we're about to enter into. Yes, sir. Is yeah, that something? Um, yeah, I just wanted to just to point out, you know, something about the freedom, the liberty of, of the gospel mm -hmm. that I see in this passage, and that is that, you know, the gospel is not a culturally bound message. Mm -hmm. You know, where we're being asked to adopt a certain culture. 
mm-hmm. you know, in this case, Jewish culture, mm-hmm. which is so different than, you know, let's say, Islam, for example, where if you become a Muslim, you must adopt Muslim culture. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to adopt Muslim faith. You have to adopt, adopt a certain culture. You have to dress in a certain manner. Mm-hmm. You have to, uh, you know, you have to eat certain things. You mm-hmm. have to worship in certain locations. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. I just think about the glorious liberty of the gospel that we no longer have to dress like Jews, eat like Jews, you know, celebrate the, the, the types of feasts and ceremonies that Jews did, or, mm-hmm. you know, wash yourself like a Jew used to. You know, all those things, you know, it's just just really shows and magnifies the, the liberty that we have in the gospel, you know, where you can wear, you know, slacks and a button-up shirt, or you can wear jeans or yeah, that's you know, right. a T-shirt. I mean, you know, yeah. no no clothing is more sacred than others. Yeah, that's right. No matter what John McCartney says. That may, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that may have been a good, some good application to get into, you know, is how is it that we now in the church today, what kind of distinctions can we make that would maybe put out wrong signals? You know, I mean, we, yeah, we can. That's something to think about. Um, that that would have been good. I, I mean, I know, yeah, right. We were at, like, speaking of MacArthur, we we're there eating shrimp, right? Thank you, God, for the new covenant. You know what I mean? I was eating shrimp. Oh, you were eating you shrimp. Were eating tater tots or something. I had shrimp. I had shrimp. <laughs> oh, you did later. I had all kinds of fish. <laughs> yeah, 